Today I want to tell you a story as we wrap up this series we've been doing on conflict. It's a story of of two bozos, honestly, who were just not acting well at all, and one woman who would be an advocate and who her brave actions would save not only these guys, or not only one of the guys, but also the nation as well, perhaps. It's It's a high responsibility that we have to be an advocate for others. Because, you know, all of us, All of us deal with conflict at times. We do. In fact, maybe for some of you, you say, yeah, I know it. I am like, I'm surrounded by drama queens and kings in my life. I've got, they're just all over the place. And some days I'm like, I can't do it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I'm surrounded by so much. But you know, God calls us, I believe, to be an advocate for others. And sometimes, not in, sometimes to stop in and and help, not in a way that is triangulating, where we try to make, uh, do things we shouldn't in the relationship, but instead where we can encourage them to be the best that God is calling them to be. So there were these two guys. One's name is Nabal. You probably don't know a lot about him. The other na- name is David. He would soon be King David. You've probably heard of him. And David is not king yet, though, okay? Saul has been the king. Saul has just passed away, and David will soon be anointed king, but not yet. So David has this group of like 600 guys, and they go around, and they're like a miniature army, if you will, and they do some patrolling. They offer protective services for Israelites, and they help them out in the challenges that they're facing and keep them safe. It was a good political move, right, because we all like safety, And what better thing for a future king to do than to keep the people safe and to demonstrate his leadership abilities in in, um, running an army and doing all of these things. So it starts here in 1 Samuel 25.2. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep which he was shearing in Carmel. Now, this is interesting. Before it even tells us his name in the next verse, it tells us that he's loaded, right? Because 4,000 herd animals, that's not small. I mean, if your neighbor had 4,000 herd animals, you would not think it were small at all. You would be very annoyed by it, and you would call the HOA immediately, right? Because this is a lot of animals running around, which means it's a lot of money when you're in the sheep business. And good thing for this guy, for Nabal, it's sheep shearing time. In other words, payday is coming soon. Continues verse 4, or verse 3. His name was Nabal. His wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. So you've got this wonderful, intelligent, beautiful woman who is somehow married to this surly, mean, nasty dude, right? And it's like a true, like, beauty and the beast kind of thing, right? Like, how did these two, how do they even go together, right? Well, it was probably her dad's fault, because in those days, marriages were usually arranged. And he, and he was probably like, hey, there's Nabal. He's loaded. We could use to be loaded. Why don't we marry Abigail? She's beautiful and intelligent. Nabal, love her, right? So she's now married to this guy. And it's difficult. Imagine being married to somebody who is defined as surly and mean. Not a lot of fun. We all have in our lives people like Nabal. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe somebody in your family. Maybe it's a neighbor, co-worker, whatever it may be. This is life. We have them. 
And I wish for your sake that you didn't, but as long as we are sinners in a world of sinners, it's going to happen. And so the question is, well, what do we do as a result? And it's very easy to write them out of our lives, right? To, you, you can unfriend them, you can ignore them, you can give them the cold shoulder, you can cancel them. It's very easy to just try to push them out. But what if? What if God is calling you to do something different? What if God is actually calling you to be an advocate for others, to step in and to be a support, to be a help? What if there's a better way than just instantly defining these people as people who should be out of our lives? So Nabal was a rich guy, and he owed David a big favor. Because David has been providing protection for Nabal's sheep and goats and his, his uh, industry there. And so David does what's normal at that time. And he comes to Nabal about shearing time. Because he's been providing all of this without a fee. And so it was kind of a bartering type of society. So it would be expected that Nabal would provide him uh, with some food or, some, or money or something to help compensate him for the cost of those 600 guys who are out there running around keeping him safe. Basically, he comes and says, hey, we've been out here playing Rambo. We're doing a good job. Look around. You're not missing any sheep or goats. Things are good. So, you know, can my guys eat? I mean, we're hungry. Me and my 600 best friends here, you know, could we eat dinner? That would kind of help pay for what we've been doing. Seems reasonable, but not to Nabal. Remember, he's surly and mean. Verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who's this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters nowadays. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? (laughs) This is not going to go over well. Okay? He knows who David is. Everybody knows who David is. David and Goliath, right? He's a national hero. He has been since he's a little boy. He's the guy that King Saul hates because he knows he's going to be the next king. And he's always chasing him all over the place. He's the one with 600 soldiers who's been protecting your rear end all this time. You know David, okay? He's basically saying, I don't want to pay. I I don't want to mess with that guy. I don't need to do that. It's his problem. Not good. Not good. And David doesn't take too kindly to this. Verse 13, David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Well, that escalated quickly, don't you think? We went from a debate over dinner to a plan for mass murder. We're going to go kill them all. They insulted me. They insulted us. We're not having it. We'll show Nabal who we are. We'll kill him and his family. Now, this was not David's most shining moment. I mean, I know you know that David is a good guy, man after God's own heart, all that kind of stuff. And it's easy to just be like, oh, okay, that's probably about right. No, it's not. It's not. David was in the wrong here. He's overreacting. In fact, he's just taking Nabal's escalation and taking it a step further, right? And we're good at doing that, aren't we? Somebody insults me, oh yeah, well let me tell you about you, right? And then we go back and forth and back and forth. And what started over some little stupid debate now becomes a big, colossal fight. You been there? I bet we all have. We've all had our moments we'd look back and say, oof. 
that was not a good decision. I shouldn't have gotten myself in that deep. I shouldn't have gotten myself into that kind of conflict. Things get loud or aggressive. Or maybe for you, you go a different direction and you just gossip or you, or you give them the cold shoulder or you ignore them. You won't talk to them anymore. Whatever it is for you, things don't usually end well when we react in anger instead of responding in wisdom and love and patience. So what happens here, I'll summarize a couple verses here. Abigail, she hears about this from one of the servants who comes and is like, Abigail, we've got a problem. Remember your husband, the mean surly one, right? Well, he's at it again. Uh, David came for his payment, and he's all like, I don't know, David, and now David is really mad, and he's got like their, his sword, he's got six, 600 guys, 400 of them are coming at us, we're in big trouble, so Abigail, you're intelligent, you're beautiful, remember this, we need you to do something, and now please, we're all in a lot of danger here. It's a high-pressure situation, but Abigail jumps right in. Verse 18, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sehas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and she loaded them onto donkeys. It's the ultimate door dash, don't you think? I mean, this is amazing. She took her servants, said, she said to her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. She knows this Nabal, right? We've, we've been together for a few years here. I know exactly what that guy's going to do, so I'm just going to take care of business. I'm going to save his bacon. He's not even going to know what happened. She makes a plan. Verse 20, she came out riding her donkey into a mountain ravine. There was David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. Imagine this army versus this lady on a donkey, Right? That is some courage. That's some courage right there. David had said, he had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male in all who belongs to him. Not David's shining moment. He's acting more like Nabal. For both of them, it's all about I, it's all about me, right? Nabal says, why should I give my stuff to whoever these guys are? And David says, I'm going to go and kill them all. Neither of them are acting with wisdom, and both are in serious danger. Both are in serious danger. For when we over-escalate, when we get into these things, we ourselves are in danger, spiritual danger or perhaps <laughs> physical danger. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Then she fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. That's a posture of a humility. Basically, Pardon me, David. Can I, can I just have a minute of your time? Would you, would you hear me? She's done nothing wrong, but she's going to take some ownership here. She's the one to take the lead, to come out with the apology. And we might say, well, it's not fair. Nabal's the one to screw this up. She should have walked in and said, hey, Nabal, guess what? We're all going to die if you don't get out there and tell him you're sorry, so go tell him. But she doesn't do that. Instead, she becomes his advocate, 
There's a book a few years ago called The 100-0 Principle. And it's real simple. It basically says that in relationships, you should expect to give 100%. You should expect to give your best to your relationships. And you should also expect the other person will give zero. Well, that's not fair at all. That's terrible math. I thought it was supposed to be 50-50. Well, here's the problem with 50-50. We all believe we're giving at least 50%. I mean, how many times are you like, yeah, you know, be honest, in this argument, I'm probably the problem here. It's on me, right? That's not how we usually think, right? And it says to give 100%, expecting the other person will give zero. That's tough. It's a little bit like that one guy said, greater love has no man than this than the man lay down his life for his friends. <laughs> We're supposed to follow Jesus, to do what he called us to do, to do, do what he showed us. And that's tough. It's a lot easier to say, you know, that person, you know, say you're a boss. I'm sorry you had a bad experience with my idiot employee, right? Like, <laughs> I really... I hire some real bozos around here, and sorry you encountered one of them. You know, it takes a lot more courage to say, I'm sorry that we failed you. What you experienced is not who we are as a company, and I'm going to do everything I can to make it right. That's a different approach. It's a godly approach. It's a less arrogant approach. She does know that David's mad, mad at Nabal. And she validates that. Verse 25, please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. So in other words, I didn't see him. Probably should have seen him, but I didn't. I can own that piece. I didn't see him and I wasn't able to cut this thing off at the pass here. She's frustrated but she takes as much as responsibility as she can. And you know, we live in a culture that focuses very much on individualism, and, and it's not all bad, but we've got to remember this. Followers of Jesus, we are part of the body of Christ. We're just a simple part of that. You, me, everybody else. I'm like, I'm the pinky here in this overall body of Christ. So I have a responsibility for the whole. My actions impact others. Just try stubbing your toe. You'll realize how much one action impacts another, right? Because a lot of things you do, a lot of walking is going to hurt because of that stubbed toe. When one hurts, others hurt. We're called to be advocates, advocates for others, to act in love, not arrogance. And in doing so, Abigail not only advocates for herself and her family, she saves David as well. Check this out, what she says to him. Verse 26, and now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. She's the voice of wisdom, right? She knows you can catch a lot more flies with honey than with vinegar, but here's the deal. Nabal has not yet, or sorry, David has not yet committed to not harm her. He's still standing here huffing and puffing, sword on his side, guys behind him, ready to go kill her family. And she basically says to him, I'm so thankful that God kept you from doing that foolish thing. You know, may all your enemies be like that fool Nabal. 
a little manipulative, perhaps, but she's wise. She speaks prophetically, even. She speaks prophetically to him about who he can be. She doesn't just say to him, David, you're acting like a fool here. Stop. <laughs> no. She sees the opportunity of who he can be. Verse 27, and let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty of my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. <laughs> What's implied is this probably isn't the Lord's battle. You're called, David, to something oh so much higher than this stupid little conflict here. Who wants a king who's going to go massacre his countrymen because they insult him? David could have wrecked it all this day. This could have led to a war. David, in his anger, in his own flying off at the handle, is about to do great damage. And she sees it for what it is. Verse 29, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in a bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Hmm, what might that be talking about? <laughs> You're pretty good with slings, aren't you, David? And it's a little subtle reminder of who he is. She could have gone at this from another way. She could have said, David, you're a giant killer for crying out loud. Grow up, man. But she doesn't. She reminds him of who he is, but in a nice way. May, may the lives of your enemies, God will hurl away like you hurled that stone out of the sling. God is for you, David. You don't need to do this. You don't need to act foolishly to do something that will endanger your own rule someday. Have you ever had an Abigail in your life? If so, pause right now and say, God, thank you. What a gift. Someone who can talk you down from a bad place, doing it in love. The Bible calls it speaking the truth in love. And that's what you and I are called to do, to speak the truth in love. And many of us were good at one side or the other of this. We either speak truth, <laughs> but we're not so loving, or we're super kind and nice and fun and loving, but we don't say the hard things when they need to be said. Speaking the truth in love, that's what God calls us to do. That's what great advocates do. We're not afraid to call out wrong, but we do it in love. Are you willing to do that for others? Do you have the courage to do that, to believe that God could actually use you? Because guess what? He can and he will. Abigail is someone who in this situation should have had no power, and yet she's going to change the mind of the future king. She's going to save her own family because of this wisdom she has. The Bible says in Proverbs 15 that a soft or a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words, they stir up anger. Do you have the courage to speak like that? Loving, kind, direct, but loving and kind, not in ways that are hurtful or harmful. 
You know, I believe that God is calling us, church, to be advocates. And maybe for you, in fact, I'm praying for you that, that right now, that the Holy Spirit would be putting names into your heart. Names of people. Maybe you can see them in your head who, they need somebody to be an advocate. Maybe it's somebody in your family who needs that from you. Your kids, or a parent, somebody else, a niece, a nephew, whatever. Maybe it's somebody at your work who needs, maybe they need to hear the truth in love. And maybe you've been avoiding it because it's just easier to look the other way. What if God's calling you to do it, to have the courage? Maybe like we talked about last week, it's in regard to racism, right? And you see an evil and, and God's calling you to stand up and do something. Do it. Be bold, be brave. Speak the truth in love. Maybe it's to help someone in need. You see the opportunity and you go and you do that because you know that God's calling you. He's given you resources and he's calling you to use them for his glory. He does that for us as a church. He does that in our own lives as well. Whatever it would be, I pray that today that you would have the courage to say yes. In fact, I'm going to pray for you right now that you would have that. God, you've put people on our hearts, or maybe you'll do that throughout the day. You've put situations into our minds, and we need courage. Because maybe right now we're tempted to look at this and to say, no, that's, that's not mine to deal with. God, give us the courage to say yes to be an Abigail, to go into situations that may be hostile and to not be hostile, but instead to be wise and to be beautiful in our speech, to be loving, to be caring, to be kind. Help us to speak your truth in love. God, we thank you for calling us to be an advocate for others. Help us to be faithful to that call. And finally, God, thank you for those who have advocated for us. We wouldn't be here without some of them. And we pause to give you thanks. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.